Well, Dak, here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. And nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun. Welcome into the Victory Bells podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? Hey, guys. Oh, big golfs, huh? All right. On Red Raider Sports Radio. Well, see you later. And now, here's Will. Great cash, homie. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the latest edition of the Victory Bells podcast brought to you by our guys from the hypnotic donuts studio from hypnotic donuts and uh real quick wanted to mention those guys as we get into the podcast uh if you don't know uh hypnotic donuts those guys have decided to come on and be uh one of our sponsors and, and really appreciative of james and those guys and if you don't know james has been on rs here for forever uh throw like crazy is his, is his tag and uh excited to have those guys on and, and so glad that they are going to support us if you're out in dfw please go check them out at uh either in denton or in dallas and uh, you can get hooked up with the donuts which all are looking quite delicious and the chicken biscuits which right now i would love a chicken biscuit so uh yeah go check those guys out if you get a chance uh they do they do it right and uh, always glad to have fellow red raiders on board what's up matt how you doing buddy i'm doing good and i'm Checking out these chicken biscuits now. These things look uh, pretty good. Pretty, I've never been. I've, pretty, I've, ne- pretty. I've never been. I've always heard good things. You come to Hypnock Donuts. Come to Houston. I will. <laughs> I will make the most of your sponsorship. You we'll said, we'll take line it. We'll line it up. Yeah, we'll take line my, it up. Take my Plenty money. of people that eat donuts and chicken biscuits down here. I don't know if there's anything as far as like. You don't know you want it until you want it, and that's like a chicken biscuit. You know what I'm saying? Because you never, for me anyway, that's never just like, man, I could go for like a little chicken biscuit. But as soon as you, you bring it up, I'm I'm on board with that. I used to hate when, you know, I, I'm i in, uh, you know, sales, and, and I would hate when people would bring the little chicken minis. Oh, Because yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, like, because yeah. I always grew up with just the full chicken biscuit. So I'm like, man, no, I want a chicken biscuit. And they're just not the same, you know, texture-wise. But they they've grown on me, like you know. But but all the people that do like the sauce and all that in the morning, like that that's gross. You to put me. it together, yeah. I'm not. No, kidding. like with all the sauce all over it and this that and the other. I, I don't, agree. I, don't know. I can do like a Bob from Waterburger or something okay. like that with a with a little strawberry mm-hmm. jam, mm-hmm. but not not on the Chick Fil A. See, for me, it's uh just a little peek behind the curtain. I'm recording recording this at like eleven o'clock at night, and it's about the time where dinner's worn off and it's either like you better go to bed or you're gonna have to eat something else and you you might tempt me the <laughs> i get the might get the devil's, in the, truck. the devil's the devil's temptation may may get me before i go to bed but well, um, don't blame me don't blame me it's, just it's not stuff. your fault it's us it's us talking about chicken biscuits it's that's 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 a fault but um got a couple things i guess i guess now that we're completely off the rails we'll we'll switch back into gears and grind this bad boy back into into second so mm-hmm. um so, got a couple things we wanted to cover tonight uh, on the podcast. And first, wanted to get in some recruiting stuff, Matt. I know we've had a couple things happen here over the last, uh, I guess, five, six days. And, and first of which, uh, really the latest news is Myron Mitchell, uh, your Juco wide receiver commit, decides to go ahead and uh, decommit and open things back up and, and look at his options. So, 
Uh, interesting timing there, I thought, with, with his decommit. Uh, was just kind of a left-field deal, but I know you've got uh, some, some, some details on that, too. Yeah, so, I mean, Myron Mitchell, we, we told his story when he had committed. Um, he kind of bided his time last year and uh, was behind some other, you know, highly ranked guys that, that went on to the next level. And this year, you know, he's he's got all the speed and, and the, the big thing. Whoops. My bad. That tab, that tab on his profile had a, had a, had forgot to mute it. So anyway, sorry. We were going to get popping in here. I didn't know what we were about to get into some. <laughs> no, no, we're good. Actually, I do a podcast with my brother. I thought I was going to say this happened before. I do a podcast with my brother and, and about the Cowboys, and and that happened. So I I should have known, but I've got like fourteen <laughs> windows open, so I, I did it to myself. Anyway, so sorry, Mitchell uh, was the 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 whole point of the story is that Mitchell was slated to. I posted this on the board, but he was slated to enroll early. It did not happen. Uh, in terms of where his grades are trending or his mm-hmm. credits. And so, you know, Tech needed somebody that could come in in the spring, join the team, join the wide receiver group. Uh, he can no longer fill that. So it was a, really a mutual parting of the ways. And, you know, you got to look at his offer list, and really he didn't have any other offers. Nothing ever really mm-hmm. progressed. So you kind of just followed the info there. It's not the – it's not the loveliest part of, of our job, right? But this does happen. It's it's the story behind recruiting. So uh, I think a spot's opened up, and, and really the, the easiest way to, to say that how obvious that is is you look at, at last week and they offer Jaron Woodyard out of Arizona Western Community College. And I know you've watched his film, yeah. and you look at his offer list. It's, it's pretty impressive. But another December uh, enrollee, originally from the, the Maryland area out of out – of, uh, the 2016 class. And I know you watched this film. I mean, just a, another pure slot guy, speed guy. So really a one-to-one replacement for what they were trying to get with Mitchell. And the interesting thing with him is at junior college, they use him as an outside guy and they'll run him around uh, and, and they kind of use him as a deep threat as, as a true speedster. Uh, I would guess at tech, he's a guy you're trying to bring in either at H or Y, just depending on what I ever you think, I guess of whether you think Kiki Kuti is going to be here next year or whether you think that uh, what whatever you think JoJo Robinson's going to be, or what Xavier Castile is going to be, which by the way he's a guy. Please do not forget about him, who's redshirting this year because he had 600 yards at SMU uh, as a sophomore a year ago. So he's a guy I think that people need to look out for. But uh, honestly, until you just mentioned that, I did forget about that. See, but but, but I I'd forgotten about it too. But uh, he's a guy that I remember seeing out of high school that I liked a lot. Uh, and ended up at SMU, and I think just wanted a, a bigger place. So, again, it looks, you know, obviously you're going to lose some guys here at receiver next year, but you've got a couple guys waiting in the wings. But, but again, I think they just wanted to add some more guys uh, as far as speedy guys with the size you're going to lose on the outside. Um, I think Woodyard's a guy you can kind of move around, uh, whether you want him on the inside or outside. He's only 5'11", but that doesn't really matter much, I don't think, uh, as long as you've got the speed to kind of get down the field. So, Oh, uh, we'll see there, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, offer. I mean, I, th- I think you add the we'll see. So let's be honest, it's October 25th, uh, Wednesday night, almost the Thursday, the 26th, by the time you guys listen to this, and he's a December grad. So you look through his offer list. If we want to be realistic, you got Arizona, Arizona State. Okay, you know, he's already in Arizona. Maybe it was easy for them to, to see him. But, you know, you've also got East Carolina, Boise State, Kansas, Maryland, He's from Maryland. Now you've got Syracuse, Texas Tech, UCF, 
and West Virginia. So you really got a little bit of everything mm-hmm. in terms of his, his quality of offers. And and I know you've commented on his talent. I just am going to throw the opinion out there that unless he's just really infatuated with, you know, the sell that they put on what he can do next year or the opportunity in the Texas Tech offense, you got to say that they've got a ton of ground to make up Probably. here, especially. Yeah. I mean, it, well, n- next week's November, you know, and, and they don't have another home game for what, two weeks? Uh, K-State's so, next weekend, and then you got one more after that. So if you are going to get him in, you got to get him in now. Right. So, you I mean, you've got – that's a, all I'm just – I'm just saying it's a low percentage thing. So yeah, the, 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 fact, the fact of the matter is that, you know, Mitchell left a void. You know, he couldn't graduate early, and, and things weren't going well there. So now spots opened up. They still want to add a receiver in that spot, and it looks like they want a slot guy with some speed. So – We'll see. I mean, it, maybe some other targets will pop up. And you got to remember some of these other guys who are graduating early, like a Galbon. You know, obviously, they're not going to be Juco try ready right away. Right. Uh, we don't know that, though, right? I mean, all we can do is talk about the probabilities. But I just think that offering this late, getting involved, you never know. He's got to visit. Otherwise, not going to happen. Yep, I agree with that. And I think that is uh, putting a pretty good bow on it with him. Um, other kid that we want to talk about that's receiver, high school kid, uh, that he's a different kind of guy, I would guess, is a straight-up outside guy, is a four-star receiver, uh, Eric Azakanma, and he's a guy that you've been in on for a while. You're in his top three with Utah and SMU, and uh, Maitland did an interview earlier with him this week where uh, he just kind of outlined, you know, obviously I think that he loves what Tech's trying to do and uh, even interested in maybe, you know, he sees what other things they're doing with the production on the inside and, has even talked about you know some of the other guys that are coming to Tech, uh, what he could do with them. So I think you're in a good spot there, but it's still a month away recruitment-wise. And uh, in, a, in a month, I think you could really you know make up some ground, especially since I think you didn't have a spot for him until this last week. So you may not have been recruiting him as hard before. Yeah, there's always – we talk about recruiting as seasons, you know, just like we all go through seasons and the – all, all that. I mean, it just it, it ebbs and flows, you know, spots open up. But uh, Eric's a kid that's been to Lubbock on his own dime or his parents dime at least three or four times. And I know times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for at least a couple of games when I was in Lubbock for the Arizona State game, he was there. He was decked out in tech gear. I mean, he was he was really into it. And I had a chance to, to run into one of the coaches at a game down here in Houston. And, you know, at the time. The, the commentary was that a spot wasn't there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they, they really like him. And the comment was made, he loves Lubbock. He loves the atmosphere at Texas Tech. So, um, you know, historically, that's what you really look for when you're recruiting in your Texas Tech. And it also helps that he's 6'3", 180 and growing uh, and, and with four-star talent, you know, if you if you really look across not just rivals but some other recruiting sites. So those are the kids that you want to get. I know a lot of people have questioned, you know, SMU and Utah being the other teams in the top three. And, you know, I say, hey, look, you know, SMU's about to put a receiver in the first or second round of the NFL first draft round, this yeah, year. I think he might be the – honestly, he may be one of the first or second guys to go because he's legit. Yeah. So, and, and you got the, the, you know, you, you have a, a staff there that knows how to recruit. They know that they're not going to win a lot of these battles that are head to head with a big 12 uh, school. But the, but the fact of the matter is they can just put way more, they have way more bandwidth and coverage in his own backyard mm-hmm. to recruit him that hard and to be the, the first program there when they're able to, to, you know, stop by and whatnot. So uh, I think that helps. 
and to me makes sense. Utah, I don't know. We've seen more and more kids, you know, making that trip to Utah, and maybe we just need to take a closer look at that Utah staff. But I've covered recruiting in the state for over five years now. I mean, I've always seen Utah involved. So other than that, yeah, I don't know. But um, at this point in time, like we said, at the end of October, maybe some of his other options that he had early on, maybe those teams filled up at wide receiver, just like we talked about. Maybe they didn't have that spot. Yeah, I think that's 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 very you know valid valid thing. But but like we said, uh, things can can kind of come around in a funny way. And you know, three weeks ago, I'd have told you, yeah, you're not going to get him because you don't have a spot for him. But now, uh, you, you just you just don't really know because I, th- I think now you've got at least one wide receiver spot, uh, and you wonder if you might have two, depending on if you think that maybe a guy like uh, you know Gabriel Douglas is or isn't going to get in. So you might might have a spot for two two guys. So we'll kind of we'll kind of figure out what they do here at receiver, but uh, I think they're definitely going to take a couple more with what you're uh, going to lose here. So uh, one more guy we wanted to touch on real quick is you got a new offer out there in uh, Colin Juco cornerback Keith Washington. Uh, interesting deal here. He was a kid out of Prattville, Alabama. Uh, Tech offered out of high school. Uh, was originally a Michigan signee, so he's a bounce back kid that decided to you know go the Juco route and find some another place to play. So I think you like that that. The, that fact of it, that he's not a guy that didn't qualify or anything, I think he's just looking for somewhere else to play. So interesting mm-hmm. offer there, and uh, one we'll try to get some more details on here pretty shortly. Well, and, I mean, you you spent the time and, and wrote a story about Ju- JUCO recruiting, what it is, what it isn't, and, and you talked about the type of target that they would go after. Now, th- he was offered by Texas Tech yeah, out of see. high school, but – Again, shame on us for not doing, you know, thorough research. But that that the coaching staff that's in place now just wasn't around back then. We're thinking either Kevin Curtis back when they're, you know, recruiting that general area. Um, who is the uh, help me with a name? Who is is it? Uh, Tevin Madison. Yeah, right? he's he's from Alabama as well. Right, and Fayette, so he's from Fayetteville, Alabama. So I really don't know if. You know, a couple trips there. I don't know if that was the direct connection. Um, but anyway, he had an offer, and so there's some connection there. It's it's not what this current staff necessarily, maybe support staff and the head guy. You know, we'll see. Um, but the fact of the matter is he's starting to receive as many offers as he did out of high school. This was a borderline four-star athlete who signed with Michigan. I mean, he, you know, you can name him off. He had him. Um, uh, he had Cal. He had uh, let's see, Louisville, Miami, Missouri, Northwestern, Tech. I mean, he had several. So legit, uh, it looks what, legit prospect for sure. I mean, he signed with Michigan, obviously. Right. And so then you fast forward to now, and the offer list might not look, you know, as flashy, but I see West Virginia, right? There's Memphis, there's Kansas, there's East Carolina, and there's several others according and, to. Go ahead. And here, here's the thing I'd tell you. Tell me if I'm wrong, if you think I'm wrong, but I think West Virginia does as good as anyone in the country not named Kansas State at evaluating junior college talent. It, at least it seemed that way to me with all the guys they have playing. They just kind of have junior college guys all over the field that uh, are like players for them. So to me, it, it, it's just one of those things where the same thing is like a K-State Juco offer, a West Virginia Juco offer is like important to me. I mean, yeah, and I mean, you know, I think the conversation's fair. I mean, I don't think we need to have it right now because we'd end up just rambling for a while. But, you know, JUCO is something that that the fans like to talk about a lot. And I think you've seen the 
the infusion of talent that, that they've been able to accomplish this year with JUCOs. Uh, but we've already touched on it. I mean, even when we were doing our show prep. So so basically, outside of Eric Izakanma and, and the receiver position again, which, you know, they have a lot of, arguably, we've talked about three JUCO guys. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's just that time of year. Um, maybe, maybe they're, the class is full and they're just starting to branch out and look at options. Who who knows, right? Things happen, but I would say, look at the calendar. You know, you've got report cards, whatever you want to call it, midterm grades, et cetera. Mm. You know, what's, what's going to happen? Is this realistic? I mean, you're, you're starting to really take a look at that and that's not only on the JUCO, but the high school level as well. I mean, I would, I would ask anyone that, that follows this stuff on, on Twitter or, or rivals, I mean, just check around. I mean, it's decommit season right now. There is and, a ton, a ton of kids decommitting right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I cover a, a lot of schools. I've seen, you know, A&M's lost a guy. Who else? Texas uh, lost a guy. Texas lost a guy. I mean, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it's happening every other day now. And, I mean, it, it just it, it does happen. And, and there's, you know, a story behind it all. Now, I had the information I had on, on Mitchell. I'm not sure about a lot of these others, but – you know, you just get to that point where maybe that's the one big visit you took over the summer. Now you're not sure. Um, you're getting invites to other official visits, and it's making you question, you know, the the level of your commitment. So, right. I mean, it happens, right? This yep. is nothing new following recruiting. But um, I just mentioned that because just take a look around. It's 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 the season. No, it, it is, and it's just the kind of the waves that this goes in now where – and I think you'd agree with this, with how much earlier a lot of the recruiting process kind of goes in general now, there's just kind of this big gap, it seems like, in the fall where kids, uh, a lot of kids, I think, that committed early just decide to, you know, back off and maybe look at some other options. Yeah, and, and who knows, right? That's another subject we probably it need is, to just yeah, kick to the offseason yeah. for a much longer conversation. But I got a, I got a tweet from a coach today with a, a – quarterback from the class of 2020 in his midseason highlights and i'm sure he's a great player and and all of that right but but he's I 15 just, yeah he's 15 years old he's a sophomore and and if he continues to do what he's supposed to do i'll hear about him you know after his junior season like i just i don't have any desire unless i go out to a camp or i go out somewhere and i see someone play to really hype them up or, or do anything like that off of a huddle. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know why we do it, but yeah, I mean, it does lead to all this. I, the thing I see more and more that drives me nuts is I see kids in like the class of 2019 who already have a top five. And I'm like, why? You're I mean, ahead. why? Yeah, if you ahead, have, yeah. yeah. If you have that many offers that you need, feel the need to do a top five, well, that's fine. But buy a new cell phone, get a new number, Right. You know, only communicate with certain coaches. I mean, you control all that process, but they do all this. And then there's one kid down here south of Houston that's uh, delayed his commitment announcement like three times and, and posted all these edits and videos for top three. And he's class 2019. I'm like, dude, who cares? Yeah, anyway, no yeah. not not to go off on that tangent, but this is just the world we live in in recruiting now. They're already talking about the freshmen that are standing out. They're already doing who's the top in Texas for the class of 2020, and, oh, it's going to be such a great class. I'm like, really? Yeah, because here's my thing. You can say that however many kids are great from that class, there are maybe 10 kids that you actually know how good of players they're going to be because they are going to be eventually be like five-star and high-end, high-end four-star kids, and they're the only ones – that you really know about because 
when you're 15 and 14 years old, I mean, are you going to tell me that you know what that kid's going to be in three years or how much room he has to grow or how much uh, more he's going to develop or how little he's going to develop? No, you, you don't know that. You, it, so to me, it's just we've just gotten so ahead of the curve and we're just always kind of getting the cart before the horse. But, but yeah, you and I are on the same page with this deal. Yeah, well, let's probably end that tangent because, like yeah, I said, I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about that stuff. But I did want to point out, you know, the information's great, but at the end of the day, we're talking about a decommitted JUCO receiver, a new JUCO wide receiver offer, and now a four-star high school wide receiver, and then a maybe JUCO cornerback uh, offer. So I can understand if you were a fan and you're reading this, you're like – either, you know, yawn, I don't care, or what are we doing? And so, I mean, I think it's fair to ask that as well. And and what I would say in, in the spirit of being fair is maybe we have this conversation in two weeks when they see who they host for the Kansas State game. Um, because, you know, while they did host visitors for Iowa State, it wasn't any, like, huge uncommitted guys on, on – on campus and you know there's really certainly just 20, it was really just 2019 and then a couple of 2018 guys that most of them which were committed already correct and so uh i mean that's always good to work ahead and i think that that's great um but it's just really hard to define who some of the top targets are at this point mm-hmm. because either those guys visited right before the season started and you thought a commitment was going to come and, and it did not um and, and we'll see i mean that but that's why th- that's why i say i think it's fair to give it two weeks you know, see who who shows up for Kansas State, and and you know, I think at some point in time these targets are gonna show themselves, right? It's gonna come to a point where we see who they're going after at, at defensive mm-hmm. back. You know, who at the high school level are, are they really looking to add another junior college guy? I mean, all this stuff is is pretty interesting, but I think there's been just a lull uh, in recruiting. So anyway, I mean, but that's what's going on right now. Yep, that is exactly what we got going on right now in recruiting. So uh, now that we wrap that up, want to go ahead and just move on to uh, tech football and just kind of what's going on on the field. And uh, well, it's it's been interesting to say the least, <laughs> Matt. Over the last, uh, I think specifically the last three weeks, where you know you start out four and one. I think you're feeling really good about things after that Kansas game, and you think, all right. You know, I mean, I guess yeah. After the Kansas game, and I, and then I think you're just kind of sitting around thinking, okay, you know, where's uh, uh, you know, you know, where we go from here? You know, what's the ceiling on this team? You feel good about things, and then you get into that West Virginia game, and I think through the first half and and up until there's nine minutes left in the third quarter, you feel really good about things in that game too because you're up 35-17 and and you dominate most of that game, and I'm sitting here honestly thinking, uh, and you know, just writing down notes during the game and talking about. Already, you know what a good, nice win this is for Tech, and how it's kind of a milestone step forward for the program, and you're headed in the right direction. And then the bottom just kind of falls out from there uh, through the end right of the West Virginia game and through the Kansas game. And, and it's a matter of since since you went up 35-17 in Morgantown, you've been outscored 60 to 20 by your your two opponents. And I think it's just left a lot of people, myself included, just wondering, you know, where did that team go, and, and what's been the you know what's what's been the issue here, and and whether you want to say that it's a matter of being flat, or that or it's a matter of running into a, a buzzsaw in Iowa State, mm-hmm. it's, it's just it, it's just kind of a, a an odd feeling right now, I guess. Yeah, I mean the the Iowa State game obviously didn't play out like any of us had necessarily predicted, and I don't think anyone would have predicted the the output from the offense. That was mm-hmm. that's something that we just 
haven't seen in quite a while. And you want to say it's an inefficiency and it's not, you know, part of the, the, the norm, if you will, for this, you know, spread or air raid offense. Right. Right. And it's just, you know, I think you put it best there and, and you, you're going into West Virginia is 35, 17. You're ranked for the first time. in what was it? Four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then, Still, I mean, right now I can't explain to you what happened in the second half of West Virginia, right? But then let alone would I say that you come back home on your home field and you still got the the heebie-jeebies or whatever you want to call it on offense. I mean, you watch it and it's either the, the passes are, are not on target or there's just no rhythm. And we can talk about, you know, how – the defenses are, are rushing three and dropping eight. That's fine. But I, I still feel like, you know, there's innovative ways to, to maybe change that. I'm not sure, right? You're more the X's and O's yeah. guy. Uh, but I think the theme of the week, whether it's this thread or that thread, is we see, okay, it's it's the the, lat- the, the lateral passing, right? The behind the scrimmage the stuff, the game, gimmicks. Yeah. And, yeah, and and when it doesn't work, yeah, it's it's ugly. Um, but I'll also remind people that Vasher took a, sc- a slip screen, you know, all the way on West Virginia. So yeah. the, it's not, it's not bad. It's just, uh, the offense has lacked a lot of rhythm lately. And so those are rhythm plays. That's when they're going no huddle. That's when they're getting first down. So when you're, when you're not getting any yards and you, you're not converting on third downs, it's this, it's just bad news yeah. because even as well as the defense played in the second half, they just really never got any rhythm. And I know mm-hmm. you guys talked a lot about the missed extra point. I wasn't there, and I watched on TV, so I didn't get that vibe. It went flat. But, I will just tell you, it went dead flat after that. Well, and yeah, and I no, because I watched the Matador Report and, and, and everything. That's why I'm referencing it. But even my wife, who you've met, you know, she knows football, you know, not like some, you know, ditzy comment. I mean, and she went to tech. She loves tech. I mean, I hear like a, like a, what the, you know, from the kitchen. And I kind of turned around and laugh. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know you were paying attention. She's like, why can't we make a kick? This is crazy. You know, and I'm like, oh, wow. She's upset. That's like, it, yeah. I can't imagine what the board looks like right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine. That's just our perspective sitting there watching it at home. But I can imagine in the stadium, you're just, all that rush of excitement from the interception and the score, and then, you know, I, that 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 was nuts to me. I mean, you couldn't you can't anticipate that. <laughs> no, you can't. But but here's my thing: if this is the football team that I thought it was for the first five weeks, that shouldn't have affected you, you know, at all. That should have been a thing where you just go, okay, cool, and you just move on because you because there's still what twelve minutes left in the first quarter at that point, so. It, it was just a matter of the blocking was just awful, I thought, by your receivers all day and by your O-line in the run game. Uh, and I think I think that uh, I would say ended up with 10 uh, tackles for loss, three of which resulted in turnovers, one of which was a pick six. So, Oh, me, I mean, they got dominated. They got shut yeah. down. Yeah, it, but that's what I'm saying. Like The story, of, to me, of the game is how, how all the horizontal stuff just never worked out for you. And... It has all year long, so I think what you saw in the second half, it was a lot better, and I thought that uh, the offense got a little more aggressive, and they started attacking some of the uh, gaps in the zones, in, in that, even though they're dropping eight, and that's just what you have to do, is you have to be patient if you're going to pass against it, uh, which is what Oklahoma did, and it also helps if you have a guy who's willing to run it for a first down like Mayfield, 
uh, does, which is why OU scored 31 on them, is is they could both run it and uh, Mayfield had the wherewithal to just kind of stand around and wait for a receiver to get open or run for five or six yards. So I think you're just going to have to do that uh, if you're going to see more of this cloud coverage stuff. Uh, and that's just going to be part of it. But I think more than anything, and I wrote about it uh, on Wednesday, I just think that this team has got to play with the same edge they did to the first five games. And, Matt, you, I mean, you were on the sidelines in Houston. You saw it. Mm-hmm. And, and you were on the sidelines for the open. I mean, for the Arizona State game, too. This team, through the first five, four or five games, they just kind of played pissed off all the time on both sides of the ball. And I just feel like somewhere in the last six quarters, they just kind of lost that edge. And I think if they're going to have any success, they've just got to be relentless with that and just kind of how they play all the time. Well, I, I mean, I know as as writers, analysts, and then even the fans reading it, you know, we all uh, have our opinions and and talk about it in this funnel. Um, but but just like we talk about how we got here, right? I mean, those kids played with that edge. They they wanted to prove themselves, and I know that the mantra is still, you know, Texas Tech versus everyone. But the fact of the matter is, you know, they were four and one with a, a narrow you know, lost to Oklahoma state. So you're feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you're riding high and then you're up on West Virginia too. And you're ranked going into that game and you start playing well. Yeah. They're going through the same ups and downs too. They're dealing with all of that. So I think that's probably why you saw, you know, another 11 AM game. You go through the high of the, like I said, the, the interception and the touchdown and then the missed extra point, but it still kind of boils down to like, how how does that happen? You know how is that agree. a how, how is that a real thing? Uh oh, look, we're gonna have a, a guest on the podcast. <laughs> These microphones pick up everything. I think she's like down the hallway. Nope, nope. Sorry. You're good. I think I think mom's got it under control. All right. Well, that was my daughter waking up, and that's what happens when you podcast at midnight. Sorry, guys. Okay, we're we're out here burning midnight oil and taking care of business for people. But um, point point being, right, is is we talk about you know the the reality of today is Twitter, Instagram, uh, social media, you know, and media in general, and and you know as well as I do, you guys are there. Press conferences is a lot more lighthearted and and a lot more jubilant when you're four and one and you're ranked and you know you're going to west virginia then it is hey what what just happened the yeah. second half at west virginia and then going to iowa state it's almost like categorizes must win game you lose and it's still what happened so yeah. i think everybody's on the same page that includes the the players as well so we'll see i mean we'll see how they uh how they respond but i mean i guess we could transition to the oklahoma game yeah. because you brought up you know you brought up the the whole uh cloud defense or you know dropping so many folks into coverage i don't think oklahoma is capable of that i, don't I think, think they have a lot of talent but they they have not played well on defense this season and i'll tell you that last year that several teams tried to do this to you in the second half of the year and you know who wasn't one of them oklahoma so i'll just be curious to see what their strategy is and what mike stoops and those guys decide to kind of uh i don't know whip up but i would guess this is a week where you're not going to get that cloud coverage where you have three down linemen and then everybody's backed off i think you'll get some of that but i think you'll also get some blitzes and they'll mix it up and they'll do some other stuff with two high safeties i, I guess point being i just think that you, you, you'll have more opportunities to really get the pass game going this week than you've had uh simply because and, and you said it OU just has not been very good defensively uh especially you know through big 12 play i mean they're giving up 36 points a game 
uh, you know, in, in Big 12 play, and that includes against Baylor and Iowa State, or two of those teams, Kansas State, another team that hadn't been scoring a ton of points. So, and Texas, I mean, they haven't been scoring a bunch of points either. So, to me, they haven't even seen the best offenses they're going to see in the conference, and they're already giving up a bunch of points. So, I think there's a lot of nervousness for, from who, who I've talked to as far as people that uh, – you know, Well, they gave up more points to Iowa State than Tech did. Yeah, they gave up 41, and I think they gave up – I think they gave up 30 of it in the second half. So – yeah, it's one of those things to me where it just doesn't make a lot of sense with the level of talent they have, but their secondary has been a mess. And then this last week, for the first time all year, Kansas State just kind of got up on them and, and just ran it all over them for like 265 yards, which just I could not tell you the last time that happened to an OU defense. So I think that's the one thing you feel good about. I think offensively, if you you really come in there and you're motivated, I think you're going to have a chance to do some things. I just think what it really is going to come down to is as long as that's the case and they are motivated, which, again, I think they will be. But if they are, I think it's the curious thing to me is, is how does your defense perform against that Oklahoma offense that is super balanced and is almost 50-50 exactly run pass? Uh, they've got a senior quarterback. And they, they don't have a ton of skill guys that you just look at and you're just, just terrified of. But they do have a bunch of them, and they have a big tight end in Mark Andrews. And their tailbacks are really, really good. Whenever you talk about Rodney Anderson and Abdul Adams and, and Trey Sermon, who looks like he's going to be an absolute stud. So I think that's the one thing I'm worried about is they're so 50-50. And if you saw it for the run, you may give up some things to the air, and you may be okay with that. But uh, I think this is going to be your hardest offensive test to date, even, I think, harder than Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Rodney Anderson, and when he's healthy and when he's got it rolling, I mean, I watched him for two years at Katy. I mean, he had at least 250 yards a game. Um, he came out with the video this week of him jumping out of the pool, so he's clearly healthy and he's got his burst back. So um, they, they, you know, they definitely have a threat in the run game, and Baker's had some success on the ground. Uh, but, but you said it. I mean, I think Mark Andrews can really do some damage because – You've noticed, like, for as well as Dakota's played, on a lot of plays, Dakota is a battering ram. And what I mean by that is he is just trying to run at the fullback or the, the, or the running back that's trying to stay back in pass coverage. He's trying to bowl them over and affect the play, not necessarily by getting a sack, but by making the quarterback get out of the pocket. And I don't think he's going to be able to do as much of that. Because I don't think Jordan Brooks is really your cover linebacker no, in a it's sense. Dakota. On a, yeah, it's, Dakota. it's Dakota. And so that'll pull him into the middle of the field a little bit more. And that's what gives those those edges. That's why it's so important for them to to do some contain on, on Baker. And hey, it, it might be worth, you know, keeping Brooks on the edge, or maybe this is a game where Tony Jones does some special things or maybe, uh, to or where maybe, you can limit what they do. Or maybe Rico Jeffries is a guy you use more this week. Yeah, I mean, he's been getting more and more playing time. I mean, I know nobody wants to hear this, but the fact that they gave up zero points in the second half, I mean, you That's were driving. Yeah. yeah, you were driving to make that a game when that pick six happened. So you got to give all the credit in the world to Iowa State. But I think you also do have to kind of give a hat tip to the Tech defense. I, I thought they did play very well and and you know, from a team effort, obviously the whole team lost, but the defense, you know, we can very easily, you know, recognize what they've done here. Because when's the when's the last time that you remember a tech defense didn't give up a point and a half, at least to like a, a power five team? 
Well, I mean, against a team that was thoroughly whooping your, you know what, yeah. the entire first half. So um, if you're going to try to come back and win a game, you have to stop them. And I feel like they did that. And, and then, you know, you got to go back and you look at the – we've mentioned West Virginia a couple times. That was the tale of two halves, and it was a bad, horrible, forgettable second half for the, the Texas Tech defense. And, you know, they, they're able to turn it around in, in the span of a week. I'm not going to say Iowa State's as explosive as – West Virginia, but I mean, which they, they aren't, yeah, yeah, they they gave the team an opportunity. So uh, Oklahoma is going to be every bit of ex, as explosive. It's in Norman on a Saturday night, so I mean, no spoiler alert here. I'm not going to predict a Tech win, but I think you and I were talking. You know, I think is OU beatable is a fair question. I would say yes, but but you know, you got to look at the performance of the offense lately, and and although. OU is is not a threat on defense. Uh, you know, I have not seen Ruffy thoroughly challenged. You know, as of yet, um, and and he's going to get that uh, against the OU defensive end. I'm Obo, not going to try. Obo Okoronkwo. There you go, nailed it. So I mean, he's he's legit good. I mean, we're talking more like a maybe a mid round talent, but he's very talented. I mean, you probably had some guys in that Oklahoma State game. Um, but they're going to get challenged this week. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. And, um, yeah, I mean, I know you mentioned the the rushing yards they gave up. So, I mean, the defense can be had, but I also think that, you know, at their place at night and just with the, the current momentum and the, the way things are trending for each team, I, it's hard for me to pick Tech in this one. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to either. Um, but the thing, like you said, I will say is is if, if, if Tech comes back and you get the first five weeks of the year Tech, it's a game they can compete in, and I think it can be a you know one or two score game in, in the fourth quarter if they play like that. Um, but again, you know wh- which team do you get? Because if you get the, I think if you get the offense specifically, you've got in the last six quarters, you might get beat like a drum in that game. So it, it's just a matter of you know what what does this offense decide to do and how do they decide to respond to me and if you get the response that you want, it'll be a competitive contest. If not, it may be over in the second quarter. So it's just a matter of, and I think you and I have talked about it too a little bit off, you know, off air is that that's been the frustrating thing with this team. I, and not even, I think this, just this year, I think just overall over the last couple of years is you'll kind of see how well they can play and then you'll see how poorly they can play. And there's just a lot of variation in there. Well, I mean, hopefully this is one of the, the weeks that they go up. I mean, the only thing I'll say I haven't been able to watch Oklahoma a lot, you know, maybe channel flipping, right? Let's call it that. But I haven't sat down to watch just a lot of the game. I would say the last one I watched was the the Baylor game, you know, in terms of thorough. Uh, when they played Texas, I'm pretty sure Tech was on the same time or I had already finished watching, you know, something like that. Um, and I, you know, only watched a little bit of the second half against Iowa State. I didn't watch the whole thing. But if you just go back to that weekend in Baylor – Every game since then, you know, they won against Baylor. That was 49 to 41. So let's call it a one score game with a two point conversion. But it was close late. And then you look at Iowa State, they lost 38 to 31. Then Texas was 29 24. I mean, they didn't really put that game away until nope. late. Texas was, and then, Texas was driving at the end, too. Yeah. And then you mentioned Kansas State, right? I mean, and so a lot of these, you know, with Texas, the rivalry, Iowa State happened at home. They don't lose at home a lot. Baylor was just like, hey, what's going on here, right? And then, you know, you can say it was in Waco, but Waco's not some historically tough place to play no, either. Especially um, this 
and and I don't know if I would say the same thing about at Kansas State, you know, at at uh, what was it, eleven or two o'clock. So they they won by a touchdown at Kansas State. So they're not you know, they have not in four weeks or the past month really just put away opponents. So they have that in common with Tech. The last time they did that was against Tulane at home, which and was a non, which was a non contest. Yeah, right. And then I would just argue that we don't even know how good Ohio State is or isn't. We know that they're both very talented teams. We know that they're highly ranked for those reasons and history. But, you know, Ohio State really hasn't played anyone since that could quote-unquote challenge them. So we're going to see them against Penn State this weekend at home. So so we'll see. Um, But I guess just overall, I don't know. I mean, I I think that this could end up being a – if the defense can get their one to two turnovers or force – OU into some three and outs, then I think it just gives Nick and the offense a, an opportunity to, to do their thing. Now, what we get from the offense, man, I mean, you and I would just be guessing at this point. I mean, yeah. you've, you've watched it and you've seen some success on the, in the, on the run game, but the passing game just seems all out of sorts. And yeah. we talk about how you can rush three and drop eight. You know, I don't think we're going to see that against OU, but you know, you've got to be able to take advantages of, of those uh, the the coverage that that they've had this season. That's where teams have got yeah. them is through the air. Yeah. And then you mentioned what Kansas State was going to be able to do. Kansas State does a lot the read option with the quarterback. You're not going to see that as much with Nick. But if they do end up trying some of the zone stuff, I mean, it looks like Nick's seen it so much now mm-hmm. that he's a little bit more comfortable trying to get some yards with his feet. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but, but we'll see, I would rather that than just running straight to the sideline. Cause I think he still took, yeah. he still took some un- completely unnecessary sacks this last game. And he's got to find a way to eliminate that. Cause I just think that puts the entire team at a disadvantage. Cause you move your punter back and you move your defense, you know, back and you're just, a whole, it's a whole field position thing. Yeah. It is, and uh, like you said, I think that's the biggest thing is we just don't know what we're going to get out of the office this weekend. So if you could tell me that, I would give you a better prediction. Um, so I think, as crazy as it sounds, I think it's going to kind of be a shot in the dark for all of us this weekend as far as what you're going to get. You hope you get the team you got the first five, five and a half weeks. Uh, hope you get don't get the one you got the last six quarters. So uh, with that being said, we'll go ahead and wrap this thing up, Matt. Uh, real, real quickly, any other thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, I just think if you – uh, if you look at this weekend, hopefully the the pressure is off of them going on the road, and they can uh, just go and and you know try and and make it a competitive game. I think at the end of the day, even the the most upset fan or the, even the fan that wants to fire everyone, they still want to be competitive in these games. I mean, there's a big difference between these one score games we're just talking about and uh, just a, a blowout, and and that's what the last six quarters have felt like. You 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 get these tiny glimpses that you're in the game or there's some hope there and then it just all comes crashing down. So uh, you just like to see a little bit, like you said, a little bit more edge, a little bit more fire from these guys. And I'm, the the thing I was wondering, because you bring it up, you know, a, lot, a guy that brings a lot of that on defense is Gilmore. And I know he's been out. Do you remember him getting back on the field or being back in the mix or is he still sidelined? Uh, he did not play very much last week. I know that. Um, and I think he was available, but he just didn't play much. Um, so we'll see this week. I think part of that's just been that Colin Hill's playing pretty well uh, as far as that because they've slid him back over that rush spot. So we, we'll we see uh, what they decide to do. But I just know it's kind of been week to week here as far as 
whoever kind of has the best week of practice, they'll they'll kind of let them trot out there. So uh, I, I agree with you. Well, nobody, I, nobody, you know, likes to hear it, but this is bar none the best quarterback you're going to face. You know, against yeah, this is. defense. No, it is. It, mm. it, it's the best one you're going to see. So uh, we will find out on Saturday what you get. So. Once again, guys, thanks so much for listening to the Victory Bells podcast. I'm Will. He's Matt. Hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. See ya.